Hello all to our lovely audience and welcome to episode 21 of The Media Beat with Maureen and Claire. There is a lot to get through today, loads happening in the media space, loads to comment on. Uh, both uh, Maureen and Claire have been doing tons of homework on this episode, so uh, looking forward to it immensely. As you know, Maureen leads the global practice, the global media practice at Arthur D. Little, uh, with whom she is a partner. And Claire Tavernier has known Maureen for years and years, has been an industry commentator for a very long time. She's also held very senior posts in a variety of media companies, so they are both incredibly well placed to comment on all things media. I wish you a very good morning, Maureen. Good morning, Oliver. And very similar to you, Claire. Good morning, Oliver. Good morning. So uh, there was a bit of intrigue in your voice there, which I'm uh, uh, um, looking forward to. So we've got the usual things, a couple of big topics to talk about. Uh, one is, um, well, it's the big, the big subject of streaming, um, how it dominates, but how it might not dominate completely in the future, uh, uh, ad strategy, etc. And then we're going to be talking about the, the tax breaks, the budget tax breaks um, in the UK. Um, after that, we've got a new section in the news. So that's going to cover rumours and things that are happening and what we feel about those. And then we will have our usual and uh, much loved lightning fast pod emoji sound effects, however we want to do it, Maureen waving her hands about on subjects of the day. And she is now, for the record, in a beautiful, melodic, almost Kate Bush style, um, I have to say, dear listener. So let's get stuck in. Maureen, um, we've been talking um, off air, as I think the phrase is, off air about um, streaming. Clearly it's dominance, but what the future lies. Um, and so far as uh, Netflix is um, designing an ad strategy to uh, fit in with the behaviours of its uh, users. What's your, what's your take on all this? Yeah, so thanks, Oliver. Um, and uh, I'm glad that you've uh, uh, likened me to Kate Bush. Um, it probably the hairstyle uh, gives it away. So anyway, um, so and so, the etherealness and the etherealness. Okay, super. So thank you, Oliver. Um, so as you know, on this podcast, um, uh, we've been covering uh, streaming uh, in some detail, and in particular, Netflix and Netflix's um, foray into the ad world. So it's uh, its launch of the advertising video on demand platform that it put in place in partnership with Microsoft last year, back in November. Um, and we've all been eagerly awaiting the, uh, the, uh, the stats and the results of any conversions uh, or, or sell downs or, or, or even sort of, you know, um, uh, new, new, new acquisitions of uh, subscribers to its AVOD platform. And something that I know that Claire, Claire will uh, have her hands to a bit later on in terms of those stats that have come through, especially in the US. But something I wanted to pick up on was this, uh, dare I say, it's probably a rumor and speculation, and that is um, Netflix, uh, it is suggested that Netflix might be considering to withdraw from the Microsoft, Microsoft partnership. Now this Microsoft partnership is in place for about two years. And we're only, you know, we're only three months, four months, five months into, into that particular arrangement. Um, and, and, and I guess the catalyst for that was the fact that they hired an advisor, ex-Comcast uh, Flywheel um, uh, senior executive, John, um, I can't pronounce his name, I can't remember, it's a Witticom or something like that, along those lines. Um, and, and effectively that, that has sent sort of a cascaded lots of rumours and speculation that, oh, what does this mean? Does this mean Netflix is going to build or buy its own ad tech platform? Well, it's bloody really difficult to build your own platform, uh, as we know from looking at all of the players in the ad tech, martech world, um, the trade desk, Xander, Xander, that was actually uh, previously known as AppNexus, was acquired by Microsoft. Absolutely phenomenal platform. So really, it could, could Netflix seriously build uh, a customized ad tech platform in, in the next year and a half? Challenging, you know, really challenging. Um, is there anything wrong with the partnership at the moment? Probably not, you know, and I would imagine that uh, they're just sort of testing the, the water in terms of, um, you know, what's out there. I would imagine they may even look at Roku. Uh, Roku's an excellent platform, doing very well, and about a year ago was deemed to be, you know, coming to the market. So, so I think I think this is a little bit of speculation, uh, a bit too early in the day, uh, in terms of Netflix withdrawing from a partnership. I think they're just sort of just seeing what the stats are, and as I say, Claire will will comment on what those results look like. But one thing I will add, though, is over the years, in the last 10, 10 plus years. 
uh, Netflix is notoriously known for perhaps um, uh, mimicking its partnerships. It did it with CDN and it did it also with localization. Uh, that is subtitling. Um, so it sort of partners with, you know, the companies, then starts to learn about what those companies do. And then lo and behold, does it itself. But I just wonder if ad technology is a step too far, a little too complicated, and probably very costly. But yeah, we're always fascinated with what's going on in the world of streaming. Um, but I think uh, Claire will have some excellent stats for us to opine on um, what, what what's going on, especially uh, with Netflix. Yes, well, I mean, that's, uh, now I'd better have some stats ready for this. Uh, I think, yes, it's been interesting. Just to go back on the Microsoft-Netflix partnership, I think Netflix feels like it has to communicate that it's really serious about advertising, and it feels like this is a move to stay to the market. We are serious about this. They've also really, so whether they're doing it or not, I'm sure they're thinking about, you know, looking at options and drawing up plans. But you do, I think it's very early on in the partnership. I suspect nothing concrete would happen immediately. But to say these things just, you know, gets the markets um, interested and uh, keeps them in the news. Also in the news are some of the new numbers they're, they're finally releasing on their ad, on the ad uh, funded tier, not so much about how much they're running in advertising, which remains relatively uh, confidential, but the fact that they are growing their user base through their ad funded tier. And remember when that launched, there was a lot of concern, partly by us, uh, we, we talked about this, that this would not gain new users for Netflix, but it would, some of the existing users would transfer back down to the ad funded to the ad-funded uh, tier, but it doesn't look like that's what's happening. Uh, certainly in the US, they have gained uh, new new subscribers through the ad-funded, and that it hasn't overlapped with, or it hasn't in increased the churn on the other the other tiers. So that's very good news. It's working as intended from a subscriber perspective. Now, it's still quite a small uh, user base, and. Uh, Somebody said, and I think that's a brilliant analogy, there are more people watching an ad on YouTube this second than have ever watched an ad on Netflix. So we are still talking about fairly small numbers. It's still much smaller than even than Hulu and Peacock in terms of the advertiser-supported user base. But it is working in the right direction, uh, which is, which is a very good news for them. It's also uh, working in the right direction for, for Disney. And uh, let me talk a little bit about Disney here, who also introduced a, an ad an ad funded here. They did something slightly different because uh, what Netflix did was they kept their prices at the same level, but created a lower price tier. Disney went in and said, we're raising all the prices unless you take the ad funded offer, which is now the same price as was our non-ad funded offer before and that's all part of bob Iger's general strategy general belief that you know they've undersold the the streaming offer and and bob Iger's been in the news a lot about streaming recently he's been talking a lot of this clearly him as well talking to the market uh, about how serious he is about controlling the cost he's starting to talk about maybe not having such an exclusive content strategy for disney plus what part of the big the strong uh, building blocks of Disney Plus was that all the Disney, Hulu, ABC content was on it and was taken off other platforms, which obviously drives subscriber numbers, but also decreases the distribution uh, revenues. And similarly, they, they went very strongly against theatrical releases or smaller theatrical releases. And Bob Iger is coming out and saying, well, that's not sustainable. We need to find other models. We need to look at things in a slightly different way. We, we you know, we, I believe in streaming, but I don't believe it should all be streaming. Uh, and also it needs to, it needs to work financially. So generally good, good early signs from the advertiser funded uh, tier on both, both Netflix and, and Disney. It's funny, isn't it? I think there's a tolerance as well for adverts, maybe with punters. I remember, I know it's only me talking, but I took out a subscription to the Times and there's still adverts in the Times. And there is a tolerance to it because think, well, I'm reading a newspaper, I get little adverts and actually these adverts might be relevant to me. So <laughs> it's, it's not simply an inconvenience. It sort of adds to the experience. Um, Claire, sorry. You were yeah, to... no, exactly. I, I was just going to say, first of all, yes, as programmatic advertising becomes better and more personalized and, you know, driven by AI and everything, the, the adverts that you see hopefully at some point will become interesting to you. And so they shouldn't be seen as a, as, um, as a, a problem. But the interesting thing that is happening in the US to build on this is that actually 
there are two advertiser-funded offerings that are growing quite fast. One of them is Tubi, which is um, which is really now as big as Peacock in the US and not very far be- behind HBO Max. And uh, it's obviously still not the leader in, in advertising-funded video. That's YouTube, which remains the top service for everything, everywhere, everybody forgets them, but uh, but Tubi, in terms of ad-funded content, is doing really well. And I think that 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 is your point, Oliver, that there is a there's a sort of general understanding, which I guess we've all learned by watching terrestrial television, that maybe advertising is not so bad if we don't have to pay for content. Yeah, it's at worst tolerated and at best useful. Alec, uh, and to that point, <clears throat> Alex Hole or Samsung, as of course we know that Samsung is, is a major player now in, uh, in the streaming world. Um, you know, as a, as, as a manufacturer of TVs, it's got a very captive a captive audience and it's going down the fast channels too. But he came out and said that he reckons that all streamers should just have an ad-funded model. Uh, it's, it's a prerequisite of basically, you know, uh, the, the, revenue, the revenue models that we all should be aspiring to. So, and I think he's absolutely right. I think, I think and he cited, you know, how well that Amazon's doing with Freevee. Um, but also, I think on the, on the flip side to that is, um, uh, and I think it's Peacock that's having some issues with frequency. Now, it's all well and good that we've got, you know, a lot of opportunities, a lot of inventory, a lot of uh, you know, opportunities for advertising. But if the consumer experience or the customer experience is absolutely awful, we're going to fall into some problems here. And I think, and as I say, Peacock is uh, is being pointed towards uh, that sort of frequency issue where we're just being bombarded by the same advert continuously, mm. continuously where we're actually, uh, they're not being able to sell that, that inventory well. So um, I think even though streamers are taking, making the right decision from a business perspective to go down the ad route, they're going to have to be very clever about how they insert the ads and where they insert the ads and how frequent they insert those ads. Um, but Claire, I know that you've... Uh, You've also been looking at this, uh, this, 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 this idea and concept of frequency, and is it a problem, isn't it, across the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely true that it hasn't been. It's not. It's not optimized. It's not optimized. If you think about, you know, advertising on social media, that's been optimized over years and years of trial and error and A/B testing, and that's why you get, you know, very relevant ads all the time. And famously uh, click on them and spend all your money. But uh, I think we're not there in television or in video content. There are lots of other problems. We don't necessarily know who's watching all the time. A lot of people watch on their personal devices, but uh, there's a lot of password sharing. Interestingly, there's also still a lot of talk about Netflix um, cracking down on password sharing, which they're hoping is going to bring also a whole new uh, group of users to their ad-funded programming. so it's much harder to be very precise in your advertising. They also don't have enough advertisers, which is why this sort of ad load frequency uh, happens. And when you watch something on an ad-funded program on any channel right now, you're going to see the same ad going over and over again. And that's, that's a problem of just volume of ads going through the system. As it grows, it should get better. It's not quite there yet. Even the best, the best engines, the best players in that field, I think, are still struggling to find exactly the right element. But it will, it will happen. It will happen because it's necessary for the ecosystem, and I think it's going to get better. And people, there is a high tolerance for it. I mean, the, the fact that so few people are signing into YouTube and everybody's still watching YouTube, as I said, it's the biggest streaming platform out there. Even though you have to watch three horrible untargeted ad before you can do anything just proves the high tolerance we have when it comes to you know getting free content it's a classic uh, it's a, a classic ai problem of um, optimization i guess the data scientists would say and i know claire and maureen you've been talking to the data scientists at adl and getting very excited about use cases because um in the in the, the data science team we're not all well Everybody's nerds, but some have an artistic bent as well. Uh, and so they were grabbing hold of the media use cases with both hands. Um, so exciting to see how that develops. We need to move on. Um, Claire, um, I know you wanted to talk about, well, you both wanted to talk about the uh, the tax breaks and the budget uh, for content developers, particularly in the UK. Um, I guess, can we start by you explaining, Claire, what those tax breaks are and then we can move on maybe uh, into the implications of those in i think originally it started in 2007 and then it was re it was sort of uh changed a little bit later on around 2015 the uk 
started establishing a tax break system, which means that big productions, films, high-end television, children's animation were able to claim uh, tax breaks on the on the budgets of their movies, and that was hugely successful. Uh, it meant that a lot of big productions moved to the UK because they could, you know, it was cheaper. And one of the key examples is George Osborne uh, when he heard that um, that Star Wars was being rebooted. Apparently, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time. Apparently, immediately called Lucasfilm and said, "Come and shoot it here. You're going to get massive tax breaks." They did. All the new Star Wars movie was shot in the UK. Actually, all the old Star Wars movie was also shot in the UK. And they got, in the end, over £350 million in tax breaks. Now, obviously, this is on a very, very large budget of many films, but that just gives you a sense of the size of the tax breaks and why it's so important. Um, as, we're en- as we enter a period of austerity, you know, teachers, nurses, doctors, you know, feeling that they're not getting the pay rises that they that they want. There is a little bit of controversy over whether, whether that's a good way to spend taxpayers' money, because tax breaks means we're funding it as taxpayers, obviously. That money is money that the government is not collecting, and so we are getting to pay for other services. Uh, the industry says that for every tax break pound that is um, that is given to a production, the UK industry gets eight pounds back in, you know, it makes people work. It 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 creates opportunities. We've built VFX studios. We've built we've built editing studios, etc. We've built studios like we've been able to expand the Pinewood Studios and created a lot of studios in in the western parts of the country, etc. In the budget announcement this week, the Chancellor, or was it last week, the Chancellor um, Jeremy Hunt announced it's sort of a, a redesign of the tax breaks and. He gave some really big numbers. Animation and children's, interestingly, are getting a bigger boost, which is great because I do think there uh, there's a, a real interest in, in you know supporting the industry. There is a question as to whether these tax breaks are still being helpful for the film and high-end TV industry. Jane, that we had on the on the podcast last time, Jane Felstone said that she thought it created, it, it artificially increased prices for everything. And in the end, she ends up filming in other countries who also have tax breaks. And let's remember the UK is not the only place where you can get tax breaks on films. And she goes to Hungary, she goes to South Africa, where the overall cost is lower. She thinks because the big Americans have come in with massive budgets, everything's become so expensive that everybody has to move out. I think there's a, there's a question. Film and TV is now doing so well on the high end. Do we still need those tax breaks? I think for children animation, it's more justifiable because you do need to sort of kickstart that industry a bit more. But yeah. That's very comprehensive. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, as usual. <laughs> oh, I did my homework. <laughs> I, I, think she did, I think she did an economics degree about uh, in, in a week or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think I agree with you, um, but but there is a there is a strong there's always been a strong economic impact uh, for these tax credits back in the you know 2007 onwards. Um, we did see did see a lot more uh, productions coming back home in the UK to be filmed here. We've seen in the last ten years now more supply coming into the market, especially in terms of studios, as you've mentioned, Pinewood Studios, Sky Studios as well. So there's a lot of capacity. In the UK, the problem is that with Brexit, a lot of the good crew, cast, um, and available uh, labour is not here. So it has, you know, some of that has gone back into the European market. So I think there's an element of wanting to bring back crew, incentivise the production to come back to the UK. I think that's the impetus for this, um, and I, I appreciate the, the comment of what type of actors will come back in. Um, and if we attribute this sort of big Hollywood studio to sometimes, you know, uh, not not the most favourable um, actors to come back in because of big inflated prices, then I, I see your point there. I really do see your point there. But I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think where this is well needed is uh, in kids and animation. And, and I think that's where I think it should be, you know, re-diverted towards. And don't forget, I mean, all of the... Uh, all of the, um, the the tax credits, or as they call it, the expenditure credits, are going to only one million pound plus high end drama. Um, so I wonder whether or not that's still relevant. <laughs> one million doesn't get you far in terms of high end TV drama mm-hmm. these days. When you're looking at, you know, um, a lot of these big shows are sort of 15, 20 million per ep. 
Um, so I don't know, but I, I agree with you. It's a, it's, it, I think, I think we're all taken by surprise that this is, uh, this has been put through. Uh, uh, Claire, I think it was twenty five percent to thirty four percent. But yeah, I, I mean, let's see. Let's 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 hope that Jane uh, Featherston, her sister uh, group. Uh, decides to come back into the UK and start filming uh, again, but um, uh, you know, unless uh, unless it's economically much more viable, you know, here than over in Budapest or in South Africa, why should she? Why should she? Yeah. Hi, you're absolutely right. It's that it was 25% tax rebate, and it's now a 34% expenditure credit. So for high-end TV and films, this would only be worth. 0.5% uh, in real terms for kids though kids and animation it's almost 6% increase in real terms so they're they're a real impact which is I think the, the intention and I suppose in all cases it's tax that we might have got that we don't get so it's we're not actually money going out it's just the potential no. of money coming in is less so again a balancing act which it, I guess it always is with budgets and numbers right yes exactly but it's quite a lot of money potentially not going in well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then if they're not coming here at all, then we'd, we'd get none anyway. Well, there you go. Would they still come if there was no, you know, I think at the beginning, so anyway, you could argue this for a long time. But at the beginning, clearly, they would not have come without the tax rebate. Now that there's, you know, there's an infrastructure, there are really good, you know, world-class studios, there's, there's a lot of uh, post-production houses. But also now that there are other places with bigger tax rebates, they don't come here because it's cheaper. It's the argument of the people who are not necessarily in favor of this tax rebate. They come here because it's comfortable. They speak the language. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of facilities and it kind of works. And it's still cheaper than the U.S. Uh, so in this case, do we still need the tax rebates? That's where that's where the controversy comes from. I mean, I, I, I don't have an answer, but it's worth putting out there. Uh, beautifully explained with added spice from Maureen, as always, um, le leaving uh, a beautiful taste in the mouth from a cocktail of uh, uh, opinion and fact. Uh, that's how I describe that. Um, brilliant. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll you move on to... You can tell that you're, you're, you're doing a wine podcast in your, in your other life. <laughs> Indeed. I'm, I'm becoming more effervescent in my language. We had a guest on the podcast and he told us that the work we were doing was crucial. Uh, wow. And I thought that was absolutely marvellous. Fabulous guy. Uh, right, it's now time for us to move on to In the News. And um, if I had taken the time to uh, create a nice jingle, we'd probably hear something like... Da -da 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 -da. In the news, the Diamond Sports Collapse. I think people might not know who Diamond Sports are, but uh, they have collapsed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we are going to do a, a special episode, spoiler alert, we're going to do a big special episode on on sports uh, very soon. And, we, and this is one of the things that we're going to talk about. But Diamond Sports is a fairly newly created group of um, regional sports network. Uh, and they have just filed for bankruptcy. This is in the US. Uh, and so regional sports networks, I mean, I don't really understand the US sports system, which is why we'll have an expert with us when we talk about this. Uh, it, it, but my sense is that they've, they've become a bit stuck between the very large events that still draw big crowds on terrestrial television, and then the smaller niche sports that have, you know, slightly different um, a slightly different uh, business model. And this, this group, Diamond Sports Group, uh, was trying to come up with a, a new way of doing things for regional sports network and they failed and they've just filed, filed for bankruptcy and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. But I do think it's a reflection on a sports market that's a little bit, um, how would say, not really balanced at the moment. You have some very, very big wins, but also quite a lot of people and businesses struggling and it's an interesting time for sports. It's also on the it was still in the sports um, sector. There's been a lot of noises around sports documentary uh, following the success of the Formula One documentary on Netflix, which I forgot the name of, but Maureen will remind me. The Drive to Survive. I oh, well, there yeah, you go, yeah. Oliver. Well done, which, well done Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. Which did incredibly well in terms of bringing a whole new audience to Formula One. And so everybody's now trying to hope on, hop on that bandwagon and see what they can do uh, in terms of more scripted content to create new fans in sports rather than focusing on live shows, live games, etc. So an industry in flux and, and a big player for the US market uh, filing for bankruptcy. Uh, stay tuned for more. 
The um, yeah, the sports documentary is amazing thing. They're doing tennis uh, now, and w- once you start to uh, understand the personalities, you start to root for certain people. And then uh, in the tennis, the Grand Slams, you know, you're, you're rooting for that uh, the the uh, lady from Morocco, who's you know the first African to get a Grand Slam final, and you 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 know what she's like. It's genius. It's really good. It's really good TV. Um, sort of got me into Formula One, but to me, it's still a bit of a fake sport but anyway sorry Maureen you were going to say something yeah I, I was actually going to pick up on that point as well because I, I, I agree uh, Claire um, Oliver um, Breakpoint is the show that Netflix commissioned um, uh, to cover tennis and they've, they've now commissioned a uh, second series so um, second season so so I think that's pretty encouraging and Netflix has always said they did not want to enter the fray for buying sports rights because it's just too competitive and it and to some extent and, and I think they've alluded to this it's, it's loss making from their perspective mm. you know sports is loss making so I think they're coming at it from a really clever perspective like taking it from a content you know uh, point of view business model um, it's one of my ex-colleagues uh, we worked together at News Corp Nick Bourne um, was uh, I think this is the genesis of his his uh, his passion for tennis, um, but I, I've, I've watched it. I've watched a couple of the episodes, and I think they're brilliant. I'm a big, big tennis fan. I was the first in there. I've got my Wimbledon seat. I've got, <gasps> uh, I've got my yeah, I've got my Barons Court seats now waiting. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, enough enough of that. But I, I, it's, it's a fascinating year, and I can't wait for our next episode uh, with our uh, special guest that will cover the uh, sports, uh, sports. Are we not allowed to say who this person I, 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 is? I, I didn't. You see, I didn't, I no. didn't, I didn't mention it. I said a guest, a guest, a yeah. special guest. <laughs> Maybe we I'll should. just add one more point on the sports network uh, to go to loop nicely back to Disney. Diamond Sports was actually created when Fox was merged into Disney because ESPN couldn't keep it and was forced to divest it because of uh, antitrust regulation. And I'm sure they're quite happy now. Yeah. Ooh, can I pick up on ESPN? Because this is, again, is something that we've been covering since uh, we started these podcasts. We remember that Disney's uh, uh, activists, uh, Loeb, uh, uh, insisted, insisted that they uh, create a process to sell ESPN. Um, and they put it in the market and there were lots of, uh, lots of people looking at this um, and then put in bids. And these bids were just absolutely phenomenally higher than they ever expected. And then because of that, they said, oh, ESPN is obviously very valuable. Let's bring it back home again. And they pulled it back into the stable of portfolio uh, that they hold. And now with Igor restructuring the business, uh, reorganizing the business, lo and behold, we see ESPN is a standalone operating division. So I wonder, watch this space. I'm sure within the next year and a half, two years, this could potentially be um, uh, a a sales process uh, for ESPN. But let's let's see. Oh great! That's one of Maureen's predictions. I love those. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to get them all together and have a special at some point called the Media Beat. Maureen's predictions and uh, see how they turned out. That will be excellent. All the footage is uh, with me and stored away um, very very logically and carefully, as you might imagine. Time and tide wait for no man nor woman, uh, as King Canute found out. So we'll move on to the next. Oh, uh, Maureen, yes. What is your view on the latest news? Re. Amazon layoffs and perhaps even the effect it's having on their share price. Um, oh yes, so um, I'm probably going to steal a uh, a piece from my favourite uh, podcaster Scott Galloway, um, um, and he made an interesting observation. He made, uh, and Claire is uh, uh, just <laughs> Claire is. I, I have my doubts about Scott Galloway's accuracy. I think, like ChatGPT, oh, yeah. he sometimes hallucinates. But anyway, go on. <laughs> Actually, actually, that's fact. That is a fact. He does tell us all that he's hallucinating sometimes, and he tells us uh, the number and types of uh, pills that he pops sometimes. He tells us, he tells he tells that to, he tells that to his audience. He tells that to his staff, uh, which is extraordinary. Um, um, and he's banned his staff from uh, uh, setting up a an offsite for the the Burning Man. Um, they actually asked him if they could uh, be taken to the Burning Man. Um, and he said, no, uh, no, because that's uh, the privilege of the elders. That includes me. I would not want you to see me stoned, but I, uh, I'm allowed to talk about myself being stoned. So he's actually factually said that. So, yeah, I'm sure he has some hallucinations. But mind you, he does have some really interesting predictions and forecasts. And I think his team are pretty good at running some analyses as well. So anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand, which is 
Amazon. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we've seen, quite a lot of the uh, the big uh, tech companies have been laying off folks. But the interesting stat that I saw was a strong correlation uh, to the uh, share price and that laying off uh, tens of thousands of, of staff uh, uh, basically gave a little spike upwards to the um, to the share price for, for, for Amazon. But Scott Galloway's point here is that, yes, indeed, we should not be surprised. Um, you know, for quite a few years, they've all been in sort of growth mode and not profitability, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, and, and when and when the markets see that these companies are, are pausing, looking at uh, their cost structures, looking at how fat they've become and starting to trim that fat, uh, uh, then there's clearly going to be, you know, they're going to be taken seriously, and it's it's a, it's a positive thing that basically they're getting their their houses back in shape. So I think I think that's a, that's the kind of like the comment around you know layoffs at the moment. Um, his other point though about that is that the tech people in particular uh, uh, are prized assets, and any tech uh, technologist or um, AI type of folk, you know, business uh, uh, professional. We'll find a job, um, and you know it's just a matter of just sort of time, and they're just sort of circling the industry. So, uh, from a sort of a employee um, uh, perspective, he was being kind of decent about that as well. Yeah, I mean the problem also, is, of course, they're not firing the tech people. I mean that's it's very interesting when you look at who they are getting rid of, both at Meta and at Amazon, and in fact at Microsoft, it's not tech people. They're keeping those because, as you say, they're hugely prized assets that would find a job immediately and. If you have them and they're good, you keep them. Uh, but there's there's been a lot of functions built around these tech people that are being reconsidered. And I think, what, what was it that Meta called it? It's the year of austerity or something? That's that's how they call it, with capital letters in all of their uh, recent um, uh, communications. discussions, communications. So I think that, that it is definitely a, a case of signaling to the market that they know they've overhired. I think... I mean, I'd, I'd love to see stats on exactly who is getting made redundant from each division. It's very good to hear that tech people still have work. I, I've just celebrated my 35th year in tech, and there really was some terror in the 80s, early 90s that we'd solve all the computer problems uh, by the turn of the millennium. And I remember thinking, there'll always be new problems. And I was actually, for once, right. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just grown and grown and grown, and the, and the need for tech is going to be, uh, well, for the foreseeable future, absolutely going to be still accelerating because um, AI wasn't really a thing but it, yeah it just seems to there's always a new problem to solve or there's always an old problem to solve in a new way um hooray it looks like i'll be able to see up to retirement uh, without uh being poverty stricken which is always good news uh, moving on to the next news item oh yes svb um yeah i think we've got to talk about svb who wants to talk about uh, that i think that's uh, probably one for you claire yeah i don't really i mean it's interesting right this is obviously a bank that was that grew extremely fast. I think somebody said that their 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 um, bank bank um, balance had tripled during lockdown. It grew extremely fast on the basis of very good connections. There are there, I saw an interesting article saying that they had also over-indexed on certain areas, including ESG, uh, i.e., businesses that that focus on environmental uh, tech and that sort of thing, and that sometimes they're due diligence was a bit looser on some of this investment. This is what I've read. I don't know whether that's true or not. I mean, it's it's not unheard of for a bank that's grown so fast to crumble. I think it's very unfortunate and it will definitely have sent waves of unrest through the startup industry. In fact, I had dinner last night with somebody who works in private equity and he says that, you know, three of the companies that they've invested in had, had holdings with SBB and everybody's scrambling. So I think a lot of people have spent a very short nights over the last few weeks. It was very good to hear that HSBC has picked up SVB in the UK. Uh, good news for the tech industry in the UK. I think the US Silicon Valley will, will be will be fine eventually. But yeah, a big shock, I think. What do you think, Maureen, on that? I, I think I think it's interesting. It does showcase it was um it was heavily indexed in tech. So mm. it was very much a bubble. So Silicon Valley Bank, a bubble. Um, and, and, and I've been listening to some commentators, either from the industry, in terms of the creative industry, media industry and tech industry, and then the financial services, you know, professionals. And there's a, there's a sort of contrast in, in, in opinions. And I think, um, I, think, I think one of the more notable um, points is, is, is that 
is that should the government have, uh, have sort of come in and uh, you know and and made those announcements and statements that um, that look you know depositors uh, your 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 deposits will be safe we're guaranteed it guaranteeing them and underwriting them that actually coming out and making that announcement in itself actually meant that people lost confidence and therefore that made and uh, precipitated the run on the bank itself. So there are some issues because 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 in 2008, uh, 2009, uh, that is already in place. We know that the government does guarantee uh, uh, deposits. So why should it come out to make that statement? You know, and, and, and more cynical, let's say media journalists were saying, uh, if that if that didn't have the name Silicon Valley in the bank name, I bet we would not have heard of this. So, you know, it's really fascinating to see the sort of uh, 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 the, the cynics and, <laughs> and and the real issues. But, yeah, clearly, you know, the run on a bank, we should not be expecting to see runs on banks uh, in, you know, 2023. Um, and to that point, we've now seen um, UBS pick up Credit Suisse. Uh, the Swiss, uh, the Swiss bank, but 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 that has, I think, its own own more general issues, and I think the rating agencies um, and uh, uh, auditors uh, had had, I think, if I understand correctly, um, allegedly, <laughs> um, um, had said that the uh, the balance sheets weren't as strong, um, and therefore this is probably not so much a surprise. So, but that's for another that's for another a story for another day. But yeah, that's um, that's Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you say, if it didn't have that word in, the the sort of sexy Silicon Valley, maybe it wouldn't make the news because it's a good news story saying, oh, is the party over in Silicon Valley? Uh, which I suppose is a good news story. And moving on. Oh, TikTok. So what's what's the president of the US got against uh, TikTok? Um, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, the, problem with tic- the problem that TikTok has is that for this never happens in the US, both major political parties want to, want to ban it. So they're actually there, you know, this is a case of but they both think that uh, there are well, they both have taken the stance that they think TikTok is is monitored by, by the Chinese and that there are security issues with it. This is not a good place to be if you're thinking that we're moving into, you know, election territory in the US because it becomes a, you know, it's either Democrats do it and they can claim they did it or they don't do it and the Republicans will hammer them for it. So in any case, this is not looking positive for, for TikTok. The problem is if they, you know, selling it in the US is not going to help because they'd still be using the same technology platform. I think what the US is hoping, and I wonder if there is some lobbying from Silicon Valley uh, around this, is that if they close down TikTok in the US, it will just be replaced by a local player. And by this, I mean, basically, Meta will create a TikTok Me Too that people will start using or a Google or something, which will be much more palatable for uh, for the US government, of course, it means that it's just other spies listening to us when we're on TikTok. Yeah. But uh, that, so yeah, it's not looking good for TikTok in the US, I have to say. What do you think, Maureen? Yeah, no, I, I agree, actually, because this is basically was initiated by Donald Trump, you know, a good few years ago, uh, when he ran on this sort of path of, uh, let's set up another Cold War with China. I think it was uh, probably possibly inappropriate way of uh, of, of diplomacy with, with China, um, but nonetheless, um, you know, he came out and said that. And Claire's absolutely right. So it's fascinating to see, you know, uh, Joe Biden now uh, reintroducing that idea of uh, kicking TikTok out of the US. Um, uh, there are genuine concerns um, about the platform and whether or not it's just a listening device for for for, for China, but not necessarily just a listening device for China. But it's also China can, and if it wants to and no one can stop it, uh, call for any of the data that sits um, you know, on the platform. And, and, and it has a history of doing that with many other uh, companies. As we know, you know, ByteDance is in other territories and ByteDance in its own sort of Chinese, um, Chinese country uh, that has been uh, you know, forced to, if I understand correctly, uh, give, give data and give information on its customers to the Chinese government. So, so there's a legitimate sort of fear there uh, that our, our data could be shared with, you know, possibly a hostile country if indeed, you know, uh, there is this sort of Cold War that could be, um, you know, in, in dangerous territories, you know, in dangerous uh, waters, let's say, uh, cause problems. Um, 
Now, I don't know whether or not there is a practical way around it. You know, they're talking about it, it, it the, you know, TikTok wouldn't need to sell or, or indeed just remove itself from, from the country. I think, I think um, the CEO, Zhang Yiming, is, uh, is desperately trying to um, comply with a lot of the, the asks and conditions that have been imposed. Apparently, he is complying, um, but we still hear the fact that the US government is still insisting on um, some form of uh, sales process or indeed withdrawal. So it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. Wow. Fascinating. And that, that, that's going to presumably run and run for every kind of popular global IT services that are not based necessarily in the country that's worried about spying, I guess. A story that will run and run. Thank you very much. probably need a light-hearted story to end the news like the news at 10 did uh, back in the old days but we haven't got one but what we have got is probably one of podcasting's favorite games um, and we're calling it uh, high low lightning fast pop emoji sound effect generative it uh, or generative ai i should say basically uh, a very quick piece of multimedia uh, from Claire and from Maureen based on some uh, prompts, I suppose we've got to call them now. Uh, so we're using real intelligence uh, as a neural intelligence, flesh intelligence, if you will, uh, but I'm supplying the prompt. I think we call it human, human intelligence. Yeah, probably, human <laughs> intelligence, or yeah, or I suppose what's the opposite of artificial? I suppose it's... Um, yeah. Yeah, human. it's a more general word, isn't it, I suppose? It's organic, maybe, I don't know. But let's say human intelligence. Organic, yeah, organic. Organic focus, intelligence. Yeah. So this is going to be using OI, uh, which has taken a battering lately, but I'm, I've still got great faith in it, particularly when the uh, brains involved are Maureen's and Claire's. So let's start. Uh, God knows how this is going to go. Maureen looks slightly confused, but ready to um, ready to dance, which is um, always, a, always a good sign, as we found out at Christmas. Uh, and let's start with the first one. I'm going to go to Claire first uh, with GPT-4. Oh, GPT-4 just launched. Looks great. We haven't seen it yet because it hasn't been launched to the public. Um, still has a lot of the issues that GPT-3 had in terms of hallucination. Fewer hallucination, but still some. I'm going to be the uh, I want to see the proof of the pudding kind of emoji. This is where I raise one eyebrow. eyebrow and put my uh, chin it's in It's something you've used before, but it visually. works. I like it. Yes, it's a famous mm, one. Yeah. I like What's it a lot. What's going on? Yeah, I think it suits yeah, me. Nice one. Maureen, you're, you're jiggling about like a, a whirling dervish. The glasses have come on. The Michael Caine glasses have come on. <laughs> Do they look like Michael Caine? I thought no, like you look like Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, Holmes. right, yeah. Look, oh, God. So, but no, no, but I don't think ChatGPT4 is Elizabeth Holmes. I think it probably uh, is genuine. <laughs> Although, if as 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 Claire, as you say, if it's uh, if it if it, if it doesn't sort of uh, bring forth um, uh, truth <laughs> and accuracy, 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 then I have some concerns uh, about it. But otherwise, exciting. Yeah. If it can oh, tell yes. me that I'm going to get diabetes, type 2 diabetes in the year 2035, then I'll be very suspicious, uh, despite it knowing what I eat. In fact, on that one, just to say, uh, Google's just launched a beta version of BARD. You can sign up for the waiting list to get access to it, BARD being Google's version of ChatGPT. So I've signed up. I'll let you know if I get in. Yeah, I, I got offered. Oh, super. I will, I will sign Yeah, up. I think I'm going to as well. You've got to. Well, we've got to. It's our business to be at the forefront, right? Okay, moving on. I'm going to go to Claire first this time. Uh, oh, yes, here we go. Uh, the ever-attractive Rupert Murdoch. Okay, I like literally, do you know this this emoji with the eyes like this and the mouth like this? And by this, I mean like lines. Yeah. So my emoji is a face with two lines and then another line for the mouth. And they're all horizontal, meaning, is it? I don't know, Rupert Murdoch is getting married. He's 92. He's getting married uh, to a lovely lady, I'm sure. And he said um, that he looked for, I think it was a joke, to be fair, uh, that he looked forward to, to spending the second half of his life together. So here's the question. Will prediction from Maureen, will Rupert Murdoch still be alive in 92 years? I think he'll be, uh, uh, he, he will never die. Never I think it'll be at the end. It'll be Rupert Murdoch and Cliff, um, not Cliff, Keith Richards. <laughs> Keith, Keith Richards. Richards. <laughs> Keith Richards and Rupert Murdoch on a, on a beach surrounded by nuclear uh, disaster. That will be the end of 
yeah, when the robots take over, that's what we'll have. Now, that's a classic. That is a classic. That beats any of my descriptions. I love that. I love that. Okay, but it, it, visualize that. Plus, also glasses again. Gosh, More it's glasses. Little, it's prop comedy. <laughs> and it. And my view is here comes the bride. Ah, very nice. The bride. This video is going up. Please. It really is. I'm, I'm yeah. ask for that it really is one of those. Um, what first attracted you to ninety-two-year-old billionaire Rupert Murdoch, yeah. isn't it? Uh, kind of line. Yeah, exactly. Blind date. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, well, good for him. Right. And it's uh, given. It's given my dad, who's ninety-four, a new lease of life. Uh, yeah. Well, exactly. Good for good for all ninety-two-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, uh, your turn, Maureen. The curse of Forbes. We called it. Well, she's off again. The curse uh, she's of off Forbes. into a prop. Uh, her, she's got a very small prop cabinet, which consists of a, gl- a yeah. pair of glasses, and that's it. <laughs> Oh, now you're Elizabeth Holmes. I there recognize go. her. There yeah. you go. Right. So, for the record, two pairs oh, of yes. glasses. And Tammy. You look exactly like her. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She looks a little bit yeah. like uh, yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, so, in other words, that's your emoji. So, in other words, I mean, the, the phenomenon here is presumably people who appear on the cover of Forbes magazine and then uh, encounter large-scale problems shortly after. Claire. Yes, quite. Elizabeth Holmes being one of them, SBB being another one. There were a series of examples that it's not good for your business to be on the cover of Forbes. Uh, I am going to have the emoji. See, I have a very, a, a very good knowledge of all the emojis. I'm having the emojis that is hiding her face. But I can see one eye. Is that is that significant that I can see one half of one of your eyes or... Should you have covered your... Inter- yeah, it's just I'm still peeking. But yeah, this is like a crash. It's like car watching crash, a car yeah. crash. Um, yeah, yeah. Got it. I'd be like yeah. eyes wide yeah. open on that one. Uh, next, ah, oh, here's a yeah. great one. Uh, and it is, uh, Maureen, your turn, let's say. Gary Lineker. Oh, Gary Lineker. He's a, he's a footballer. Oh, no, the glasses are so going the back. the cabinet is open. <laughs> and, oh, it's a pair of large glasses. <laughs> imagine, imagine a white yeah. shirt, because he only has white shirts in his closet, okay? Uh, oh, okay, that's, a, that's a look. You're just being Gary Lineker. I, I just think uh, Gary Lineker. I yeah. just think Gary Lineker because he was like that on one of the photographs. He just had his, you know, white shirt with a sort of "I can say what I like" look. Glasses. You're not the boss of me. It look. was basically. It means you can't touch yeah. me. Almost yeah. a national treasure, if you like your footy, Claire. Yeah, I think uh, this is one where it's. Uh, I'd have a scoreboard with Gary Lineker one, BBC zero. I think they've really frankly not handled this very well i think i'm not the only one who says, who says that so that's my um i'll be counting the points there good good for gary yeah. and you know uh, i'll stay silent on whether i agree with his with his um with his tweets or not but i'll just signal yeah. nice smiley two thumbs up um, because it's victory yes exactly regardless <laughs> yeah. of politics it's uh, the bbc didn't seem to look all that great however another uh, doyen of the bbc um, with probably a better relationship with them. David Attenborough, uh, Claire. Oh, so this is very sad. We had this meeting with the AI people that Maureen mentioned, and they said, well, isn't it wonderful with AI? We could just have David Attenborough documentaries forever. It doesn't matter if he's dead, because we can recreate him as a hologram, and his voice. we can have his voice say anything. And I think all of the media people in the AI, me included, were just appalled by this. So this is my... OMG, appalled. Oh, yeah. Almost, you know, um, um, almost Munchian yeah. in your despair. Yeah, very Munchian, yeah. exactly. I was trying to find the name of that word, that painting in English. The screen. Find it. But anyway, this is me. And the thought of, of having an artificial intelligence driven a David Attenborough. There is only one David Attenborough. We can't make him through artificial intelligence. So that's Nice me. one. Thank you, Maureen. Okay. Don't put the glasses right. on again. Oh, she is. She's going to put the glasses on again. She's like a very cheap... Impressionist that you book for a very cheap dinner. Oh no! This time she's turned around. Oh, turning I see. Around. Oh no! It's so big. I like it. You look a little bit like the thing from the Adams family, as well as that. Exactly. Or a Sasquatch. It, yeah, exactly. It was. It was basically. It was. It was basically. Yeah. So me putting my glasses on backwards. So like Eric Morecambe used to do Funny uh, well. on stage, but also just to say, I'm astonished that 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 our AI folks would say that. And I think David Attenborough should live on forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, um, so he'll be on the stage with Keith. Keith. <laughs> he'll be on the stage. He'll be on the stage with Keith Richards. Cliff yeah. Richards. 
And, oh, Murdoch. Yeah, but maybe and, and, Rupert, well, Murdoch. Yeah. and Rupert Murdoch. And Rupert Murdoch. Hooray yeah. for non-agenarians. They're the best. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah you, you only get true wisdom yeah. when you get into your 90s. And just a bit of a counterpoint to that, I'm going to come to Maureen first. Perfectly uh, reasonable. Women. Women. The glasses, the glasses oh, no, the are coming glasses. on again. The most versatile <laughs> pair of glasses. And she's standing. Yay! Oh, the flamenco dancer. She's flamenco dancing, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, I like it. Oh, oh. I like it. And now she's stirring a massive pot, or she's doing that thing that people used to do. And then, no, and I, I think she's She's dancing. also dressed all in black, so she really looks like a mime. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Claire, perfect. can you add to that? I am. Uh, I'm oh. going with the women. We can do it. It was International Women's Day last week, uh, or two weeks ago now, I guess. Uh, we uh, uh, all celebrated and uh, also slightly bemoaned the fact that progress is slow. But actually, if you want a little bit of a content advice, go on YouTube. And if you can sit through a few ads, watch the ad for Ford. Ford made an ad for International Women's Day, which I think is quite clever. Um, I'm not going to say anymore, but that will keep you busy as you search. Thank you. My view is that uh, the emancipation of women globally is uh, basically not the right thing to do, not just the right thing to do, it's the only thing to do to avoid catastrophe of the human race. Um, and, the, and the nuclear beach. Well, right, yeah. I mean, nobody wants that, yeah, right? not really. No, probably not. <laughs> anyone who has a sister, aunt, mother, how you cannot be a feminist, I do not know. But anyway, nice one. Um, perfect, we've got to the end. We've done everything. We've actually squeezed it all in. Not bad at all. So, yeah, so we've talked about uh, the latest in streaming, budget tax breaks. We've had a look at the news. A very good um, high-low lightning fast pop emoji sound effect generative IDA round uh, featuring a very well-worn pair of glasses from Maureen's um, uh, uh, props cabinet. It only remains for me to say uh, the sports special is coming. We won't say who we've got, but we've got a real expert uh, on uh, sports media uh, in the next one. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, it only remains for me to say, Claire, thank you very much as ever. Thank you very much as ever, Oliver. And Maureen, thank you so much. See you very soon, I hope. Thank you very much, Oliver. And the glasses are being waggled. See you on the next one, everybody. Bye for now.